Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. And tonight I'm so excited to have as my guest, Kelly Bryson. Kelly is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a best-selling author, a certified nonviolent communication trainer. He's also a singer-songwriter, a ZEG forum facilitator, and a new culture community starter and builder. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you so much, Sumati. Thanks for what you're doing. The work you're doing is wonderful. I'm so happy to to even know about it. Thank you. Yeah, and I was really excited to have you on the show because you call yourself a communitarian, and I believe that Mm. community is, is absolutely essential for people living with alternative relationship models and you, I think mm-hmm. of you as somebody who's really a, an innovator, a renegade that's really tapped into um, the new culture and community building. So I'd love if you could start by just telling us how did you become so involved in community? I'd love to tell you that, but first I have to confess, I'm only an aspiring communitarian. It's a long road. There's a lot to it. And I really would be remiss to, call myself an expert in that. But uh, how I got started with it was was when I noticed my relationship would have about a four-year cycle. I I would live with a woman, wonderful woman, for about four years, and then things would start to come apart. After a while, I just said, wow, there's something wrong here. There's something that I'm doing wrong or I still need, and I, I went on a quest to find out what it is. And as I did my research, I started to find out there are more people who are living in models that were beyond the capitalist paradigm, beyond the the Prince Charming story that we're given as as young people to try to follow. I started finding out that there was some people who were coming together in small communities and supporting each other to have the relationships that would fill their needs better. Something like it takes a village to raise a relationship. I started to realize or see that, how that, how that needed to work. Because long before there were families, there were tribes. And I think even our sexuality developed in tribes. So it only makes sense that for it to flourish, we would need tribes of some kind to support it and keep it out of the, the kind of the codependent realms, the dominant submissive realms, the games that happen in, in, in relationships that are not grounded and uh, support something more liberated, more fulfilling, more advanced, more transformational. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, so since you've been exploring um, living in more of a community how have has your how have your relationships changed? Well, I've only lived in community a small, short period of time, like actually land based. But the tribes that, that are being created, the new culture tribes, are wonderful support for all my relationships. And now I'm really having some some relationships that are very healthy and very supportive and uh not so full of drama as they used to be. And uh I'm really grateful for all that. And even the, the challenges that I do have, and I am still learning about power dynamics and different things, 
even those relationships, it's so wonderful to have other people around to give the kind of empathy that I can't give my partner and to give her and, and for her to get the kind of support she needs to really be there for me. So hmm. it's been a That's awesome. Yeah. So you said that our sexuality developed in tribes, and one of my favorite books, Sex at Dawn, um, has, yeah. has one theory about that. Um, but can you yeah. talk a little bit about um, knowing that our sexuality develop, developed in tribes, how does being in intentional community allow our sexuality to flourish in, in modern times? Hmm. Well, first of all, I, I got that idea partly from Sex at Dawn, the, you know, the anthropology of it. But uh, as I look out into the communities that I'm working with in Europe, things like the Zeg community and the Tamara community, obviously the Zeg community, there's, there's relationships there that are a new kind of model where they're long, deep, long-term committed spiritual partnerships, but also they're open other connections, other relationships, other adventures, and they actually support each other. They don't. That's not a conflict for them. Partnership and open sexuality or free love are not. They're not conflictory. They're complementary to each other. There's a stability of the the partnerships. They're very supportive of the whole community, but then also for them to have the freedom to know they can be with other people and to, and that doesn't mean that ends their relationship makes the whole thing more stable mm-hmm. and to be able to see the right. people you, you're going to relate with and connect with every day in community and have kind of a, somewhat of a container that we can all work on together and get to know each other and I found it's very important right. that couples have the, the same tribe not two different tribes mm-hmm. that why way, is that yeah, important? Well, because if I'm really good at it, I can go to my men's group of my my separate tribe and give them a snow job and and paint my partner as neurotic. And, and, and if they're not sophisticated, they'll agree with me. And they'll support me in my victimhood. But if you have the same tribe, you can't pull the wool over their eyes in the same way because they, they get to know them on their own level and get to understand what the dynamics are for both sides of the issue, not just one side of the issue, which is what happens when people have separate tribes. That often happens. That sounds like, sounds like a really advanced level of transparency and vulnerability that very few people practice. So I love that. It's really powerful. Well, I like to think that love and sexuality is not really a private issue. It's a collective issue. Something uh-huh. we're all working on together. And it really can only be resolved collectively because it is a collective issue. It's not just personal issues. Yeah, that's really a different paradigm. I want to dig deeper into your experience with the land-based communities in Europe that you've been to and also the new culture community that you started here. But before we do that, um, can you define what is the difference between polyamory and free love? I know that free love is a term that you have brought back from those European communities. So can you explain why you use the term free love? Well, I brought it back from the European communities, but it started in the U.S. in 1867, right, 16, something right. like that. 
Yeah. Well, in the 1860s, not not the 60s, the 1860s. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a woman named Victoria Woodhull who started the Free Love Ticket. She started the Free Love Political Platform, and she actually was the first woman to ever run for president on the Free Love Ticket. And wow. It was all about women's issues. Wait, 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 wait. Right. There was a Free Love Ticket? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's a great book on it. I think it's called Scandal. But anyway, wow. Got a free love ticket, and, and it's all about freedom and also about women having the right to choose what they want to do with their bodies and wow. about being able, being able to vote and you know, women's rights issues. Mm. And also about the, the, the importance of the freedom not be punished if you choose to have sexual partners outside of the paradigm that culture supports at the moment. So anyway, that's that's the U.S. starting of it. But um, how it plays out in Europe, they call it Freie Libre. Freie Libre. That's kind of a German way to say free love. But for them, it's not about numbers. It's not about quantity, like number of lovers. It's more around the quality. Is it love that doesn't possess, try to possess? Is it love that's given without expecting anything in return? Mm-hmm. Is it love that that um, doesn't try to coerce or control? Is it love that doesn't have the fear of abandonment mixed up in it? Or the idea that jealousy is a part of love? Is it love that's based on a anchoring in the divine, anchoring in source, anchoring in groundedness and centeredness and self-love? And then from that place, I can love you without trying to control you and possess you. That, in that sense, free. Free of coercion. Free of the games. One up, one down, competition. You know, all the codependency games, the guilt trips, the shame trips, the intimidation, the withholding sex, the, all the games that get played when you don't have an anchor in the divine. So, free love is an the quality of love, not whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous, has nothing to do with it. It's not really the debate that I would like us to be having the conversation. Hmm. Well, that and sounds even, absolutely even, amazing and very almost idealistic. Um, so yeah, how, idealistic. I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure there's no like one quick thing you can say, but can you address is it because of being living in community and having your relationship be seen by the community that you can hold each other accountable to these qualities? Like how do you remove the feeling of jealousy from, how do you separate jealousy from love? How do you keep it anchored in the divine? Is, is it the support of the well, community that allows for that? I'll tell you how they do it in, in the Zeg community in Germany. When someone feels jealous, let's say if it happens to be a woman, she doesn't take it to a partner right away. She doesn't go to him and say, hey, you just triggered me and now I'm all upset. you got to attend to my, my pain and take care of me. What she does is she goes to the women in the circle and they love her up. They remind her of what contribution she makes to the, to the community and they remind her how beautiful she is and how much they love her. And they surround her with a connectedness and a field of love and support. And then she goes back to her partner from a whole other energy, a whole other place. Place of empowerment thing. And there's an idea about the importance of putting your women's circle first. 
your connection with women first. Because there's a saying that that all the really nonviolent communities have as a foundational base the women's circle. So they can have trust and solidarity and solidness. So they don't try to find in a man what they've lost in the universe. They don't mm-hmm. try to find a soul from him. They find it with the with each other and their solidarity. They find their anchor again. And once you're anchored in the divine, you can't have the fear of not getting your needs met for love. And you can't have comparison jackals, I call them. All the things that tell you that you're than she is or somehow in comparison not as worthy. She's kind of a foundation of jealousy. If you come back to the present, and in the present there is no jealousy. Mm-hmm. It's always about the future in comparison. Right. The same for the well, men. I knew I was... Sorry, go ahead. The men? The men also have a men's circle and they they come to each other and support each other in getting back connected to their trust. And then they, then the jealousy just doesn't make sense anymore after a while. In certain fields of community, you don't even have to try. You just step into their field and it doesn't make sense because you're full of connectedness. And if I'm full of connectedness, jealousy doesn't, there's no place for it. The way Sabine Elicitov said it was, that um, I'm getting ahead of myself. You know, excited about this. She said that jealousy is to no. What did you say? Mm. Mm. Jealousy, lo- love is to jealousy the same. Ah, oh, shoot. It'll come to me in a minute. As it'll part come of to back to you. Well, yeah. I'm really glad that you talked about this because I knew I was excited to have you on the show. Um, I found my own discovery of freedom from jealousy from tapping into source like you're talking like you're talking about but for me it was through spending time alone and in nature and really tuning in that I am infinite love and that's who I am and jealousy is just kind of meaningless when you're tapped into that infinite love that we all are and I think that in our modern life at least where I live in a major metropolitan area where everybody's working and trying to pay the bills we don't always have that luxury of, um, you know, community that we live with where there's that, that sisterhood and that brotherhood that we can fall back on. So how can people who are living in um, urban areas where there's traffic <laughs> um, have, get that kind of source from their, from their sisterhood and their brotherhood? Well, it's amazing, but really, it only takes a few minutes, like, I'm just excited to tell you different angles on this. Once I've come to one of these new culture gatherings or really connected in deeply with some people and we find this place called the field, then we know it's kind of its address. If we know it's URL, we can find it. But sometimes I can't find it on my own. But if I call up one of the people that that I've met and decided to kind of partner with and we can start talking about this stuff, we can actually find our way back into that sense of trust and connection and field again and presence. Mm-hmm. And it only mm-hmm. takes a few minutes. I can be really, really lost, really scared, really lost. In about 15, 20 minutes on the phone with certain people, I can find my trust again. And Beautiful. it's not that hard. Yeah. And we do mm-hmm. trains, actually. In the new culture training, we 
train people how to be a good listener, how to be a good support, how to give rough love what it's needed to really support your partners in, in flipping the switch of fear and turning on the light of trust. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So, yeah, I definitely want you, before we're finished, to tell people more about how they can get in touch with the new culture community. But can you also talk about the ZEG Forum? I was so blessed to get to lead a ZEG Forum with you recently, yeah. and I yeah. love what they do there. So I'd love for you to define that a little bit for our listeners. What is a ZEG Forum, and what does it do? Well, the ZEG Forum is a process that was developed about 30, 30 years ago by the ZEG community to help them deal with shadow issues as part of it. How can they bring the shadow issues onto the table and work with them in a way that's compassionate and not shaming? So they found a, a way through psychodrama and playfulness and humor to bring the shadow issues of performance, to bring the shadow issues onto the table and take agency over them, perform them instead of be the victim of them, and to kind of uh, make it transparent to the community, make it known. That's the first step in healing it is just bringing it out of the shadows, out of the cave, into the light, have it seen and witnessed and held without judgment by a group of people who are present, who are practicing presence. There's something about that, that just showing it, just making it clear, making it known, and playing with it a little bit helps us to go into what I call transformation, switching perception a little bit, not just about healing it, but also about being able to take a new perspective on my situation, my problem, if you want to call it that. And just that makes a new decision to have a, a more empowered perception. So it's about shifting from from whatever you're caught up, whatever the story is, to a perception that serves you better, that makes you feel more more strong, more powerful. One name for healing is regaining lost power. So the Zeg Forum process is about transforming people so they can reclaim their lost power that they gave up usually in their childhoods. Beautiful. And it's done in a large group format, correct? Yeah. Yeah, you can do it you can do it with two people, you can do it with two hundred people. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's it's interesting. I've done it a few times and it with just a few people. And it works. And it doesn't have to be with um people who live together, right? It can also be with kind of yeah. uh virtual communities like all the different crossover communities in the Bay area that I belong to. We've, I know that they, I feel like they could all use that. <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, Definitely the crossover is, is not a problem. The technical part, I haven't mastered it yet, but some people tell me they're making some good progress on it. Doing it in a virtual form. Some of the communities in the Northwest. Some of the communities in the Northwest are, are, are finding some solutions to having the, the technology to do Zeg Forum in, on, in cyberspace. Oh, in cyberspace. Okay. Yeah, I did say virtual community, but what I meant was communities that don't have boundaries, like, for example, the sex positive community in the Bay Area. It's a, it's a loosely defined community that comes together for various activities, but there's you know, some core members, but there's people that flow in and out. So can it work yeah. in those types of communities? Yeah, it can. Um, I think it's important for it to build up some trust, but, yeah, it, it can work. We've been doing it for the last, for the last uh, at least 12 years here in the Bay Area, 
and people come and go, and, as in any community. And, of course, the more stable it is, the better it is, but, you know, you got to work with what you got. Right. Have you found that there's been kind of a, I call it a Californianization of the Zeg Forum, kind of a unique Absolutely. spin on it? That Yeah. What does that look like? Well, I would say that there's different people who who uh, advertise that they're doing, you know, the, the Zeg Forum process, and some have had more training than others. And the ones with more training aren't really trying for the catharsis thing. They're not really trying to have people emote, emote, emote until they're, they're free of their emotion and they're, they're free and healed because it usually doesn't happen that way. Nothing really changes. And I know from uh-huh. being a, a therapist for so long, people can come in with the same issue month after month after year after year. But what I like in the Zed Forum, the attitude is it's about transformation, about making new decisions asking the universe for things and being witnessed in doing that. So it's a much different focus than just trying to heal heal somebody or even solve a certain solution. It's more about learning how to step out of your story and choose a new perspective, a transformational perspective, a lot better than the one you're telling yourself now. Mm-hmm. So it's not about healing and or finding solutions. It's about transformation of perspective. Mm. And there's an energy that Beautiful. comes it's profound when it happens. You, you feel it when it happens in the room. Suddenly, truth is in the room, and everybody's eyes light up, and we know what we know in that moment. And uh, it's elevating. It's elevating. It, it is transpersonal. In, mm-hmm. in the sense that these issues are transpersonal. Kind of like that field that you talked about earlier. You create that field. Yeah, something like that. Something kind of suddenly you'll feel it in the room, some awareness, some some difference in the air, and, and you'll know that what has just been performed in the middle of the circle by this person has some kind of transcendental wisdom to it. They call it geistic wisdom, body, mind, spirit wisdom. And the community then absorbs that wisdom and holds that wisdom, and the next person that comes into this forum with those issues, whether it's jealousy or money or power or sex or love, the community has, has that wisdom to help them more quickly make their transformation. And the more a community works on a certain issue, the deeper and stronger their wisdom of that particular field is, and the quicker and the deeper the transformation can be for the new people coming along. Beautiful. So some, communities have been around for a long, some communities have been around a long time, like Zag and Tamara. They hold a lot of wisdom in their field. They really help people move quickly in their and their transformation and their change process. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about how those communities are doing. How how long have they been in existence, and are they doing well, and um, where yeah. do they need to grow? Well, uh, the ones I particularly like are Zeg and Tamara, and there's other ones that have offshoots. They have the nature community in Germany, which is an offshoot of Tamara, and there's many regional groups that are offshoots of Zeg. And I would say they're very successful in the sense that uh, they're stable financially and uh, people-wise. They don't have, like, a big come-and-go turnover all the time. Um, but mostly it's their kindness and their wisdom. And 
the love of art and music and life and sexuality and all of that, that I think they're having a very successful life. Not only just the enjoyment, which is wonderful, but also in terms of their own creative expression in the world. They're having a stage to give their gift from into the world. And many of them are teachers in their own right and bringing their wisdom and teaching forward. And they've been around about about 35 years. Both of them about 35. Um, those two. And they say that the reason they have been successful is because they learned how to deal with the issue of love a little better than the communes of the 60s did. Mm-hmm. They say the communes of the 60s were had pre-sexuality, but what really killed them was when love came along and people didn't want to mm. share their partners anymore. It created a lot of conflict, and they didn't have a tool like the Zeg Forum to work with it. They had no community-building tools. They had communication tools like nonviolent communication, but they had no community-building tools. People have um, primary partnerships, and then they have other lovers, or do they not use those terms at all there? I think they don't use that term very much. It is what it is, like every relationship. You know, I have a relationship with somebody, and it is what it is. And uh, I think it creates this third entity, I call it the third, that has, it call it the relationship. And the relationship has its own needs. Sometimes it needs time to just go deep with that person and to not be involved with other people. Other times that, that third, that entity of the relationship, needs energy, wisdom, support from another person. And then the, the energy opens up and it takes that person in to serve the third. And where it goes from there is the creative process of the universe. But they don't have like a you know a hierarchy of this is my primary, this is my secondary, and here's the rules about it, and here's the agreements about it. In fact, they don't really make agreements. All they do is set intentions, understand values, see if they're on the same page about values, and create contingency plans. Hmm. What do you mean by that, a contingency plan? (laughs) Well, if you don't show up at 7 o'clock to meet me at the movie, I'm going to go ahead and go in and be down front to the left. So I don't Uh make the agreement that I'll be there at the movie at 7. I set the intention to be because I value seeing the beginning of movies. Maybe we're on the same page about that, or maybe not. But human beings, according to Marshall Rosenberg, uh, can't make agreements. Generally, they're set up for betrayal. Hmm. So Marshall Rosenberg said that agreements are set up for betrayal? No, I said that. He said that. Oh, you said that. Human beings. Yeah. He said the human beings can make agreements. Because of And the, then you added the piece about them being yeah. set up for betrayal. I like that. I really like that. In fact, one of my most successful open relationships, we only had one agreement, and that was if you have a slip with using barriers with sex with someone else, yeah. just let me know before you have sex yeah. with me. That was the only agreement yeah. that we had, and the rest yeah. was just be nice to each mm-hmm. other. And if you're not nice to me, I probably won't want to keep seeing you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we have And so few. you talk about – sorry, go ahead. 
there's a few. You talk I, about I um, tr- a trust trust based approach to life, and that's what I'm hearing you say right now. That this is a trust based approach to life. Can you say yeah. more about that? Well, I say what I'm drawing from intellectually would be the little book by Dietrich Doom called The Decision. And in this book called The Decision, he says that we all have to deal with this really big issue of whether we're going to choose to trust or choose to doubt and be in fear. And an even bigger decision, a decision you can make, is the decision to trust and trust, just because it makes sense to trust and trust. And uh, it's not trust that you um, Kelly, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt you for a second because the connection's not so great, and I really want to hear what you're saying. So, can you All name right. the author of the book again, and then just say I couldn't understand what you're saying. Something trust. Yeah, Dieter Doom is the author, and the book is called The Decision. Okay. Hmm. And then what were you saying, something trust? Well, I'm saying that what I love doing is making the decision to trust in trust. Because it's what makes sense. It doesn't trust, it doesn't make sense to doubt. Because as soon as I doubt, I bring in fear. And then I'm not present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, it isn't, it isn't trust that, that I won't get a fat tire. It's just trust that no matter what, I'm going to keep on trusting. Mm-hmm. So it's a decision that you make to trust rather than doubt because it's just one or the other. Your two choices are either trust or doubt. <laughs> Is that right? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and in relationships and communities, what creates trust is reliability, people doing what they say they're going to do, then also for them to be vulnerable and tell the transparent whole truth as much as they can, particularly within their tribe and with their partners. Got it. If if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Kelly Bryson, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a best-selling author, and a leader in uh, in Europe and Northern California, especially um, in the area of community building, especially with new culture and some of the technologies he's learned from land-based communities in Europe. So we're talking about all the different new technologies and, and new thoughts um, that have come out of these communities in the last uh, several decades. Um, so Kelly, you are the author of don't be nice, be real. Balancing passion for self with compassion for others. So how does this book relate to free love? Hmm. Well, one problem couples often have is they have this belief that, that they can hurt each other's feelings. That they, if they tell the truth, it's going to hurt someone's feelings. And uh, this prevents them from being transparent. And if you're not being transparent with people, you can't really feel a sense of trust with them because you know there's something being hidden. You're not being allowed in on. And and then that starts to create paranoia and 
and that starts to get a life of its own. So being real, I mean, we don't have to be harsh, we don't have to be cruel, but the importance of getting real is that then people can feel a sense of trust with us, and then we can, you know, then we can feel safe to be vulnerable in, re- in response. Because it takes vulnerability to invite vulnerability. Mm-hmm. If I'm vulnerable, that's a good way to inspire you to feel safe enough to be vulnerable with me. And then we start a vortex or a spiral of trust between us. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. Yes, that's exactly true. It takes vulnerability to invite vulnerability. And I learned that when I used to lead a program for teenagers and I was teaching teenagers how to be vulnerable and I had to start out by sharing my own story and saying yeah. something very vulnerable yeah. and role modeling yeah. that for them. Yeah. 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 So um, you, you say that you also start transparency tribes in person mm-hmm. and online. How does how does that work? Well, um, in a few weeks here, I'm going to start a new class uh, on sacred matrix community building and uh, tools and techniques, processes, and these little things I call them tribal technologies, kind of intimacy processes that I've gathered from different sources around the world. And uh, I give them to people who want to become tribes want to get seven or eight people or however many they want to come together once in a while and to practice communing, connecting, being vulnerable, authentic, relating games, authentic connection with each other, vulnerable connection, empathy, things like this, skills. And we give them an experience of it and give them the tools and then invite them to meet on their own and organize themselves in whatever way works best for them. And partly because there's a spiritual experience level in that, besides just the wonderful support it can be, there's also a spiritual experience. Eckhart Tolle put it this way. He said, when small groups of people come together, drop their masks, and choose to be vulnerable and commune with each other, it opens up the portal for the new earth. That's how the new mm-hmm. earth manifests, is those okay. small groups opening up to each other opening their hearts to each other, healing the wound of the patriarchy, which is a blocked heart. That's what the patriarchy has given us, these hearts that are closed. And the task of the new culture of the new age is to find the technologies and the, and, this, and the courage to be vulnerable, to be intimate with each other, and to allow presence, consciousness, Life, very, 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 kind of mystical, really, is my experience of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I didn't know Eckhart totally said that. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. His book, The New Earth. Yeah, I read that book, but I don't remember the piece about small tribes coming yeah. together, small communities coming together to shed their masks and share vulnerably. I didn't, yeah. I missed that piece. <laughs> it was a very small piece, unfortunately. I mean, mm-hmm. from my perspective, it should be the bigger piece, but he only makes yeah. it in passing. Yeah. 
Yeah, because like I said, I've spent time alone out in nature contemplating and meditating and connecting with source out in nature. Um, But I think it's also important that we connect in, you know, with other people because we are tribal people. Mm -hmm. I find it easier for myself. I'm an extrovert, super extrovert. Some people are more introverted and I think it's easier for them to find it on their own. But for me, people like me, it really works so much better to do a dynamic meditation in connection with somebody than it is to try to corral my wild mind in lotus position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a little of both. I was just at a mm-hmm. festival a couple of weeks ago with lots of eye gazing and breathing mm-hmm. and dyads and Usually by the by the evening, I was like, I can't look into another person's eyes. <laughs> I by myself now. <laughs> so we all we all have to find yeah. where our limit is, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what a healthy tribe does: is support a person in finding out what's their authentic truth, what's their authentic need around connection and relationship, what's their authentic need around sexuality, what's their authentic need around power and money. And to not be ideologically, culturally created by some ideological group. To even even like polyamory can become a, a, a cult phenomena, and that polyamory is the cool thing. And to not be polyamorous is not cool. Suddenly you're having a, a cultural programming around freedom, which mm-hmm. is strange. I like how the term free love also implies that you can have love relationships that aren't sexual because, um, you know, non-monogamy and monogamy, it kind of implies that sexuality is present in every relationship, whereas they're, they're, we all have very, very important relationships to us that are non-sexual. And we, we need to value those as well so that we're not expecting one person to be our end-all, be-all and everything. Yeah. And one day I hope soon that free love will be understood that it's not just about sex. Mm-hmm. Although there's nothing wrong with that. But that freeing love means healing love. The love relationships between children and parents. The love relationships between sisters, between brothers, between, you know, families and between cultures and to free the love that's available there. And and the healing of love. Because in my viewpoint, love has gotten a little sick. It's gotten to be some way to manipulate each other, to control each other, not just in sexual relationships, but all relationships. It's gotten kind of codependent or dominant, submissive, and it needs a healing. It needs a, to end the separation, to, again, anchor in the divine. Mm-hmm. Love it. So I was surprised to see that you're also a contributing author to an anthology called The Marriage yeah. of Sex and Spirit. And you have some yeah. good company in that anthology. There's uh, yeah. some contributors, Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer. Um, tell me about that book and how you got David to be Dater. one of the contributing authors of that. Oh, and David Data too, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, well, the way I got involved was uh, my publisher of Don't Be Nice, Be Real, Dawson Church, was a good friend of Geraldine Gendrew, if I can say her name right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she was the editor of the book. So they were looking for oh. different authors to offer things, Ryan Eisler, Leo Biscaglia, different people to offer uh, just a chapter or something like that. And they 
invited us all to contribute, and they just picked picked the ones they wanted and, and uh, paid us in books. I still have a few hundred books <laughs> in my mm-hmm. storage unit, <laughs> and uh, it was wonderful. It's a really has a lot of really good people in it. It's a high quality book. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Good for you. Yeah, I know Gerilyn. That's right. I have seen that book. I remember seeing yeah. it at Harbin before it burned down. <laughs> so um, tell me, how do you go about starting and sustaining a free love community? Well, the first thing, I'm, I'm jumping, jumping quick to the gun here. Let me take a breath. Mm-hmm. What the people I trust most have told me is that when you're starting a community, don't just start visioning. That's that's not a good way to get started um, because it's pretty easy in a way to share some values of love and peace and nonviolence, um, but putting it into practice is quite harder. They say the first mm-hmm. step in any conscious community is to study together. And this is hard to take for the American culture because there's so much anti-authoritarianism in the U.S. and so much fear of being dominated intellectually that books and head and all that are just totally distrusted. But I really think that understanding the historical context, understanding the wisdom from other groups that have come together and tried to build community and what they learned and getting clear on values around sexuality and power and money, going deep with each other, to read a little bit, to talk a lot about it, and to really get, I call it cultivating, cultivating culture, getting inspired, getting on the same frequency with each other in a powerful way is the first step. And then, then after that, then you can start doing the visioning, what your mission is and what your project is. But there's a lot to what makes for a healthy culture, but that's a in Dieter Dillon's book, The Sacred Matrix, he gives a very good outline for what things help the most in starting communities and what communities need the most in terms of their own, uh, mm-hmm. having their own song. Hold on a second. I want to make sure I'm hearing you because the connection was not so good there and there was a little background noise. So you were saying The Sacred Matrix is the name of the book and yeah. something about a song. A community has a song? Well, well, let me give you his name. The author of the book is Dieter Duhm, D-U-H-M. And one of the things he says is that for communities to develop their own their own songs, their own cultural rituals, their own, their own little sayings, all the things that come from their own roots with each other, do not just adopt other people's cultures. Got it. Huh. So you're also a singer-songwriter, huh? A little bit. <laughs> and have you um, created any songs for the communities that you helped develop? Sure, a few. Not a lot. But I like to uh, hear from other people, too. Marshall Rosenberg has, made, has a whole bunch of songs I borrow from. I've written a few okay. songs, mostly around trust and 
love and all that good stuff. Mhm. Beautiful. So tell us more about the new culture communities that you've helped create here in Northern California. And where did that well, term uh, new culture come from? A group of people about in 1998 went to Zeg Summer Camp. And uh, they were very inspired by what they saw and what they learned, the Zeg Forum and different things. And they came back to Oregon and decided to start doing their own summer camp. And so they called it New Culture Camp. Mm. Because that was kind of what they saw as the intention behind Zeg's work in the world. And they were just inspired to help bring about a new culture. So they took the Zeg Forum and some other things they learned in Zeg, started doing it a yearly, every year, about two weeks. We come together about 110 people or so and uh, stay together for two weeks and practice all of their wisdom and learning and transformational tools. And it's really a beautiful thing. It's quite powerful. And mm-hmm. my personal opinion is there's still some Fear around studying uh, together. It, it needs to be worked on. I'm hoping it's the next phase. Fear around doing what together? Studying. Studying, got it. Studying. So there, you studying find that there's the resistance in American yeah. culture to study, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But I think if we don't understand history, we're kind of doomed to repeat it. If we don't understand right. group dynamics, like really, really get group dynamics, then we're kind of still the unconscious victims of it, but we don't understand what's happening. So this happens somewhat in, not just in new culture mm-hmm. tribes, but in any group that gets together. Certain kinds of uh, power dynamics happen. And if you don't recognize it, you become the victim of it. Mm-hmm. So, and studying can help that. Studying can make you aware. Mm-hmm. Of, oh, that's what's happening now. Now I see. Mm-hmm. Here's what we need to mm-hmm. do about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think so, about. Uh, I was in twelve-step community for a long time, and um, if you go to any twelve-step program, there's always the book study meetings, so that people are constantly mm-hmm. rereading the main book over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And, even though the wording in like the AA book, it's very outmoded. It was written in the thirties and it's very patriarchal, mm-hmm. but people still read mm-hmm. it anyway because of the wisdom, all the mistakes that they made. Mm-hmm. So they don't repeat the same mistakes again. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And so then did you help, so did you help create the, the new culture spring um, and autumn camps here in Northern California? Yeah. Yes, I started both of those, along with mm-hmm. uh, Evelina Rose. We started the autumn camp together, and I started the spring camp about 10 years uh-huh. ago, actually. Mm-hmm. And we brought Ina and Akim from the Zeg community to help start us, to get us started on the right foot, and to teach us Zeg Borum training. Mm-hmm. And that was very helpful. Mm-hmm. And so we've had it every year. It's filled up every year. Every year we do this amazing thing. It happens every single time. Because we create the field of new culture. It just exists. You can just feel it. It's palpable. And we've done it. We've been successful. It's kind of like we can rest in a way. <laughs> because it's complete. 
all we get to do now is just add to it. Just invite more people into it. Whoever wants to come and partake. But it's already... Yes, yeah, no, no, I had... I had sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, it's, it's a field of energy of consciousness that exists. It just... It already exists. There's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> just enjoy it now. Yeah. Well, I finally went to one of those camps after hearing about them for um, probably 20 years. And, uh, um, you know, I heard about the summer camp in Oregon for 18, 20 years or more. Mm -hmm. And then I had heard about the ones in Northern California. And I finally went to the one last spring. And I felt like I'd never been so held and seen and celebrated and the other thing that I loved about it was I'd never seen a community be able to hold the nuances of relationships so well, um, to be able to understand that relationships don't always get resolved and tied up in a pretty bow, that there's often unresolved things hanging out there, and that's okay, and that's part of being human, and we can still love each other. And I'd never seen that so exquisitely held in that way before. Sweet. It's wonderful. Yeah. So I, I'm really yes. happy to help promote that more and get that out yes. there to more people. Wonderful, yeah. Yeah. It's one, definitely one of the funnest things I do every year. Mm-hmm. That even the most profound. Every year. There's some background noise that uh, a little probably louder than you realize. <laughs> yeah, some kind of pump for the hot tub, I think. Okay. <laughs> You're in the hot tub right now? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not oh. that. <laughs> okay. I wasn't Okay. I've never had anybody do the interview from a hot tub, so that would have been a first. <laughs> mm-hmm. That could still happen. I could still go get in. It could still happen. We have five more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, do you want to take a little bit of time to tell us about an online class you have coming up? Mm-hmm. Yes. We don't have the dates yet, but uh, if anyone wants to uh, be notified about the online class, the Matrix Community Building class, and it's also for individual transformation. We'll do live work with online and uh, it's a group that I'm going to send out the announcement all over the world to our people from Europe and the U.S. And it'll be a, a class like once a week that I'll present material and then we'll work with it. And if you want to be on the list, you can go to my website, www.languageofcompassion.com, and sign up to be on the newsletter. And I'll cool. send you a notice about it. So that's okay, languageofcompassion.com Yeah. All one word. Right? Okay. Great. Okay. Awesome. And then as far as these um these new culture uh camps, there's a spring and a summer and an autumn camp. How can people learn more mm-hmm. about that? You can go to nfnc.org. Or also you can be put on you know my newsletter and I, I send out announcements every year about the camps. And people can get on your newsletter by going to the Language of Compassion website? 
Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and I was going to ask you something else, and I lost it. Um, anything else you want to say about the camps? Uh, let's see. No. I, I know one thing I did want to mention was you can find my book on Amazon. Just order it online. Easy enough. The same with the Sacred Matrix book and the Points of Love and Peace by Sabina Lichtenfeld. They're all on Amazon. Easy to find. Okay, well, let me slow down and get get all this. So, so your book is Don't Be Nice, Be Real. So that's on yeah. Amazon. And then yeah. Sabina, it's S-A-B-I-N-E, right? A, Sabina. Sabina with an A, okay. And then Lichtenfield? Yeah, L-I-C-H-T-E-N-F-E-L-S. And then what is her book? Her book is Sources of Love and Peace. What of Love and Peace? Sources. Sources. Source. Sources. Yeah. Source of Love and Peace. Okay. Yeah. And then you also often you talk about the sacred matrix. And that's Dietra Dum. D-U-H-M. D-U-H-M. That's right. D-U-H-M, and you were Sacred right. Matrix. I got it wrong. It's not Sabina. It's Sabine. Yeah, I've seen that name before. S-A-B-I-N-E. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. All right. So we have um, a few more minutes, and I want to ask you how, because I know the Sacred Matrix book, you referred to that a lot in the camp that I went to that you were at. So why is that book so important to you, and what lessons does it have to give us? Well, it just has so many of the real basic, deep, profound concepts that I think are missing in our consciousness. Whoops, I lost you, Kelly. Our connection seems to have gone out. Okay, well, in case we lost Kelly, we're almost out of time anyway. <laughs> and I just wanted to, to thank Kelly for being on the show. He was Awesome, and I'm sorry the connection wasn't so great the whole time, but hopefully you you guys were able to follow along well enough. And I want to invite you all to join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio, where, where I will be speaking with Sierra Wagner, who will be talking about the sex-positive movement in the yoga community and her own non-monogamous life and how she brought her knowledge and awareness of healthy sex positivity and healthy uh, consensual non-monogamy um, into her practice as a yoga teacher. So please join us next week at 6 p.m. on Leading Edge Love Radio. Good night, everyone. <laughs>